0: Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, March 2nd, we're studying Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. Jesus has just foretold for the first time his upcoming suffering, death, and resurrection. Before he goes to the mountain of his crucifixion, though, he goes to the mountain of his transfiguration. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Peter Ill. Pastor Ill serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstad, Illinois. Pastor Ill, welcome back to Sharper Iron. So glad
1: to be here, Pastor Apple.
0: Pastor, Ill, as we get started, give us some context. This is pretty important as we get into Jesus' transfiguration. There's some important connections we want to make with the previous text.
1: Absolutely. So, like you just said, Jesus is foretelling his death and his resurrection uh, at the end of Matthew chapter 16, uh, and and he says that it's necessary that he will suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised but peter being peter he took him aside he began to rebuke him and he started to tell jesus no this will never happen to you but then that's when jesus says get behind me satan and he tells peter that you are setting your mind on the things not on the things of god but on the things of men and then Jesus starts to talk about his coming glory. And so the last verse in chapter, in chapter 16, chapter, Matthew chapter 16, verse 28, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. As Jesus starts to talk about his kingdom and his glory, he's not only talking about the kingdom and the glory that are going to come in the age to come or even on the cross, but even the glory that he is about to reveal to some of those who are standing there in front of him and going into Matthew chapter 17 as he takes them up a mountain and begins to show them his glory, uh, not just from a cross, but as he is changed and transfigured before them.
0: So it's, it's going, I mean, to try to trace this then, It's going to be you've got Jesus talking about his death and resurrection. He says to his disciples, though, as they ponder and and are confused by this, and Peter even rebukes him for it. You've got him saying, "Some of you are going to see my glory before you taste death," and and now they're actually that is quite literally going to happen then on the Mount of Transfiguration. So so sixteen twenty eight at least. In part, in whole, what do you think refers to the transfiguration, or does it talk too about the the second coming?
1: I think it talks about all three. It, it's kind of okay. like if you if you imagine that you're you know you're driving out from from Illinois, I would say out west, you know, going towards the Rocky Mountains, and you can see the mountains off in the distance, and you think, wow, all those peaks look so close together, um, and But then when you get close and you're actually in the mountain range, you realize that those mountains are tens, fifties, even hundreds of miles apart, even though they looked so close from a distance. I think that when Jesus speaks here, you have that same kind of of mountain thing going on, where from a distance, the glory of Jesus at his transfiguration, the glory of Jesus on the cross, and the glory of Jesus in his return look really close together but when you get kind of in the middle of them, you say, oh, these look a little bit farther apart than they did from a distance. And I I think that is how this idea of Matthew describing the glory of Jesus works, where we end up seeing three things, the glory of the transfiguration, the glory of the cross, and the glory of Jesus' return. They look really close in Matthew's gospel, but for us, they look farther apart.
0: So let's go ahead and take a look at the glory then that Jesus shows in his transfiguration. We're in Matthew chapter 17, beginning at the first verse. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. rise and have no fear and when they lifted up their eyes they saw no one but jesus only and as they were coming down the mountain jesus commanded them tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead and the disciples asked him then why did the scribes say that first elijah must come he answered elijah does come and he will restore all things but i tell you that elijah has already come and they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they pleased so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. That's the text for today, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. So, Pastor Ill, help us help us just set the scene here. I mean, the transfiguration as an event in the Gospels is, is simply spectacular to, to imagine. So to help us set the scene, what what do we need to be picturing in our minds here?
1: Well, I think that we picture in our minds very well that Jesus along with Peter and James and John are on a mountain. One of of the questions that I would love to know about this text is what mountain? Hmm. But the truth is we don't know. Uh, For Moses and for Elijah, Scripture tells us that both of them were at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Both of those mountains go, uh, that, that is the same mountain with two different names. And some people would like to guess that this is the same mountain, Horeb or Sinai. But there's nothing in the text of Matthew or Mark or Luke that tell us that. We just know they're up on a mountain by themselves, or at least they're by themselves for a little bit. And that's when Jesus' form is changed. and his face begins to glow, his clothes are gleaming white, and Moses and Elijah appear and are seen by the disciples, by Peter and James and John. One of the things that's interesting about this text is, is how visual it is. Matthew records it for us in a, with a lot of, a lot of detail that we can focus on. We can begin to see it ourselves. And a couple of times in the reading, we hear that word, behold. Uh, If we were going to be a little bit freer with the translation and with the text, we might translate the word behold as looky or see here and and have that emphasis of, of see, it's like this. And Matthew runs with that theme throughout his gospel. And it shows up here in the text of the Transfiguration too, saying, look, see, Jesus' face was glowing, his clothes were gleaming, the cloud overshadowed them. Hmm. But I also think that when we start seeing what things were like and what Matthew describes, it drives us back into the Old Testament and some of the appearances of God that we see there. We know that God appears to his people from mountains and from mountaintops, Like I said before, Moses had encountered God at the top of Mount Sinai, where for six days he was at the top of the mountain. And then on the seventh day, God spoke to him uh, in the form of a devouring fire and in a cloud. Elijah also stood in God's presence on the mountain of God, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And God spoke to him in a still small voice telling him how God was going to use him as a prophet. And here, those signs that come on top of a mountain are also very true for for Jesus as he stands there. But no longer does God simply reveal himself in a cloud or in a voice. Now God reveals himself in the form of his son who is all the way human and all the way God. And Moses and Elijah, once again, are on a mountaintop talking to God. But they're not just in a cloud. They're not just hearing the voice. No, now they are standing in the presence of Jesus, on whom the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. And here is God in the flesh talking together with them about what is to come once again, Moses and Elijah are in the presence of God. This is what they did before. This is what they do again, because Jesus is God in the flesh.
0: Hmm. All right, so a couple of things, Pastor Ill, just to make sure we we catch all of this. Behold, looky here. I like I like that. I mean, I'm going to start reading it that way in church, Pastor Ill. Looky here, right? Looky here. Now it's interesting. I, I want to come to this second, but but the first looky here is actually not. There isn't that behold in terms of what you see with Jesus, but first that that it's Moses and Elijah. That's the first thing that Matthew would invite us to look at, particularly. So we want we definitely want to come to that. I, I want to. You, you mentioned mountains in the Old Testament. Mountains are very important, particularly Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. Same same mountain, two different names. And and Moses and Elijah. There are other places where where the Lord appears on a mountain. And so when Jesus takes his disciples, his three disciples, up this high mountain, we're invited to, to think of those appearances of God in the Old Testament. The surprise maybe here, or the, the, the important thing that we need to see, as you've pointed out, is that God is on this mountain as the one who's ascended with his disciples. It's Jesus. He's the God who is, who is on this mountain here. And, and that's indicated quite clearly by the fact that he is transfigured before him. The, the brightest light that you could imagine is suddenly shining out from Jesus' face, and, and even so much that it, it, his clothes are shining as well. And, and just, I mean, I don't want to belabor it, but, but maybe we should say it just so that we do. This is showing us that Jesus is, in fact, god i mean that's why he's shining at this moment is as a revelation to peter james and john that this man is in fact god is that's what we should get from this right pastor ill
1: right when moses and elijah and jesus are talking on top of the mountain it's not that these are all three people who have who have prophetic powers jesus isn't on the same level as moses and elijah Moses and Elijah are considered some of the most prominent members of the Old Testament uh, and some of the most prominent prophets, but this is God doing what God has done in the past, speaking to Moses and Elijah. Jesus is God and Jesus is the one who is meeting Moses and Elijah again. Jesus, God in the flesh, is not on the same level as moses and elijah no he is god and it is god who once again meets with moses and elijah and for this peter and james and john are witnesses they see what's going on and they have this this sense of wonder to the point where they don't even know what to say but this is god speaking to his prophets once again not on equal terms but as God coming to Moses, to Elijah, to Peter and James and John. And it's been recorded here for us so that we can see that the presence of God is fully seen in Jesus.
0: So Matthew, then, you get that first, behold, looky here in verse 3. Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking. So, and I know you've you've started to address this already, Pastor Ill. But, but what's the significance of Moses and Elijah? Why those two men?
1: I think we can confidently say that Moses and Elijah are two of the most prominent of the prophets of the Old Testament. But I think that the inclusion of Moses and Elijah is bigger than that. Moses and Elijah were the prophets who stood in the presence of God previously, to see Moses and Elijah, the guys who talked to God, on this mountain talking to Jesus is in itself a testimony that Moses and Elijah talked to God. Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so not only are they the premier prophets of the Old Testament, but they are also those who talk to God. There's Jesus. And so before we even hear the voice of the Father, we have this visual testimony that Moses and Elijah are talking to God, and that's Jesus. And so there's a lot of times I think that we want to see and emphasize and focus on the glory of God the Father. And sometimes we don't always see Jesus with that same kind of glory. And we, we might talk about Jesus, especially as some of our Christmas hymns do, as, as humble and lowly and laid in a manger. And we unintentionally think of him as less than God the Father. But here we see him not as less than God the Father, but the one who has the full glory of God who is seen and borne witness to by the same prophets as happened in the Old Testament. We don't have a greater glory of God in the Old Testament and a lesser glory of God in the New Testament. It's the same God. And Jesus is attested and shown to be God in the flesh. This is a powerful statement. This this whole reading is a powerful statement that Jesus is The Christ, the Messiah, God in the flesh. That's one of the main things that Matthew is trying to show us as his readers, saying Jesus is all the way God. He's not the Messiah sent from God who isn't equal with God. Jesus is God in the flesh.
0: Jesus is all the way God. That that uh, that's a good good confession to make. Why? I mean, so Pastorial, I, th- I think you're I think you're right that that we often do in our hymnody, especially at Christmas, think about Jesus in terms of his his humanity, and and rightly so. We we can't we can't de-emphasize that by any means. Um, but but sometimes maybe we forget this this fact that Jesus is fully God as much as the Father is God so is Jesus. As the creed confesses, he is of the same substance of the Father. So why why is that so important, not only in general, but, but particularly at this moment in Matthew's gospel, that these three disciples would see that Jesus is all the way God?
1: Jesus had just said something really profound. That it was necessary right after Peter confessed that he is the Christ, the Son of God, then Peter Jesus said it was necessary for him to suffer many things, to die, and to rise again. And then here comes Jesus standing on top of the mountain of transfiguration. Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus who will die and rise is all the way God. That's important for Peter and for James and for John and for the other disciples as well. And it's important for you and me. If Jesus is just a man who dies and even rises from the dead, but he's not God, we're in trouble. If Jesus is God who hasn't taken on flesh and become like us in every way except that he had no sin, well, we're in trouble then too. But here is Jesus, all the way God, all the way man, in a way that the math doesn't add up, but revealing himself as fully human and fully divine. And he has become our sin so that we have the righteousness of God. These two natures in Christ, his human and his divine nature, are revealed to us so that we can say, God himself is my Savior. He didn't send someone less than him. He didn't send a token or a substitute of himself. He came in his fullness and in his glory for me, for you, for us. And that is where this Holy Spirit-given faith hangs its hat, that Jesus is God in the flesh, fully human, fully God for us. And he is the one who takes away our sin and reconciles us to God the Father by his blood.
0: So what's happening here in the transfiguration is is Jesus is further preaching on what he's just preached to them concerning his death, that as he goes to his death, he goes as the one who is both fully human and fully God. And and if I recall correctly, Pastor Ill, you were on Concord Matters, not all that long ago talking about this very topic from a from a dogmatic perspective, and, and I think it, it we get at it from an exegetical perspective here, looking through the, the text of, of scripture, that when we see Jesus dying on the cross, we're not only seeing a man dying, but when we see Jesus die, we actually see God die. And and that that strikes us as surprising as as maybe even wrong there was even some some conversation that i saw after that episode of of concord matters that i saw on social media that that had some question as to whether or not we should say that as christians that that god died for us and and i think that the transfiguration invites us to reflect on that and make that confession as well and so if if you don't mind rehashing a little bit of that conversation for us uh, why is it so necessary that we say that God died for our sins.
1: Sadly, I I wasn't able to be on that episode, but I was able to keep. Oh, up you weren't? With the conversation. Oh man!
0: Oh, I, I just, know. You, you know. I was so bummed you were on that one, man. Well, no, Pastor, I'm sure that uh, you can Sean still Densers have sat this conversation. In and did a
1: wonderful job better oh. than I would have done, and and it was great. Um, and so if you. If anybody wants to listen to this from a more uh, doctrinal perspective, go back a few weeks. The episode is entitled God died with a question mark. And that's a phrase that really does hit us wrong. And there's a lot of folks who will hear that Jesus died on the cross and with really good intentions will say, well, yeah, the human part of Jesus died, but the God part of Jesus didn't die because God can't die. But that's actually the entire point of the gospels, that Jesus is fully God in the flesh. He doesn't turn his divinity or his humanity on or off. Sometimes he fully reveals his divinity and sometimes, He doesn't fully reveal his divinity, but he is, from his conception and his birth, through his death, his resurrection and his ascension, and looking ahead to his return, he is all the way God and all the way man. And so, when Jesus is on the cross, we say, God died. Human and divine alike, Jesus is both. God died on the cross, just like we say that God was born in the flesh. When we confess that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, we say, well, yeah. And so we say God is born. Sounds a little funny, too. But that's what we say when Jesus is born. God is born. And when Jesus dies, we say God died. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, we say God raised God from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. And we want to try to figure that out. The truth is, we don't understand the Trinity. We don't understand how Jesus has a divine nature and a human nature together. And so we simply confess what the Bible says. Jesus is all the way God. And he died. He didn't stop being God when he died. Still God. Still died. Still rose. And so we continue to confess, yes. Indeed, Jesus God in the flesh died, and Jesus God in the flesh rose from the dead, and he never stopped being God, and he never stopped being human either. And so we also say that Jesus, reigning at the right hand of God the Father in heaven now, today, he is both God and man. He didn't stop being human when he ascended into heaven. He is the same human and divine two natures in Christ God that he has always been since his conception and his birth.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you ever just kind of stop pastor ill and just wonder at this? And this is, this is amazing to, to consider the things that we are confessing about who Christ is and what he's done for us. And, and, and just to, to tie a tie a bow on it on this side of the break. I mean, the reason that this is important is because if it is just a man who dies well what good is that for you and for me what what kind of savior is that we don't just need a man to be our savior we need god himself to be our savior we need we need divine body and blood to be delivered to us in the lord's supper that's what we need and, and that's that's the beautiful truth that scripture gives us to confess and to believe unto our salvation. Closing thoughts with just a minute here on this side of the break, Pastor Hill.
1: That is exactly where it stands. Jesus comes as God in the flesh, all the way God and all the way man. And it's easy for us to say, well, the human part of Jesus died, but you can't separate it. You can't stop it. And we also don't want to say that God just showed up and saved us without becoming fully human jesus was like us in every way except that he had no sin so as god and man together in both of his natures he is our savior jesus isn't less than god the father on him the fullness of the godhead dwelt that is wonderful news it blows your mind and blows my mind We can't understand it, but this is what Scripture says, and we simply confess it.
0: You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFO, talking about the transfiguration of our Lord. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Monday, March 2nd. We're looking at Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 through 13 with Pastor Peter Ill of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Pastor Ill, prior to the break, we talked about the first 3 verses of the text. It was we made great discussion there concerning Jesus being fully God, as much as the Father is God, so is Christ. He he is God in our human flesh. And and Peter has seen this, along with James and John, and, and Peter, well, I mean, it, it makes sense that Peter would be the one to start him from the gospel so far. What, what does Peter say, and and oh, is he is he right to say it? What do you think?
1: So, Peter says to Jesus, as Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah, Peter breaks in and interrupts Jesus. He interrupts God himself. And you and I might say, well, you would know that no mere human should interrupt God in his conversation with his prophets, Moses and Elijah. That's just what Peter does. And then he says, well, we should make three three tents or three temporary shelters. I guess I would like to think of it as huts or lean-to's. But we should make three of them here. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. Because you can kind of see behind this that there's this idea that peter and or sorry that jesus and moses and elijah are equal and so they're going to treat the three of them the same but that is not the case and even as peter is still speaking the bright cloud overshadows them And, and when you hear bright cloud, it often will pull you back to the old Testament when you will think about the bright cloud of the devouring fire that covered Mount Sinai when Moses was there or the cloud of fire by night and cloud by day that covered the Ark of the covenant and that covered the tabernacle and then the temple. And so now the bright cloud overshadows them and the voice from the cloud speaks. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so Peter, the interrupter, is interrupted in turn by God the Father. And God the Father testifies, Jesus is the one to listen to. I think you could almost take this as don't go building equal huts for moses and elijah and jesus jesus is the one to focus on buddy so emphasize jesus not moses and elijah as these three are talking together jesus is the one to listen to jesus is the one to watch and so when they lifted up their eyes there in verse eight it says they saw jesus only Because Jesus is the only one worth listening to. Jesus is the only one that we are called to see. The emphasis here isn't on Moses or Elijah. It's not on the cloud. It's not on the gleaming clothes or the glowing face. It's on Jesus who would come down from that mountain in order to climb a different mountain. The mountain of Calvary in suffering and in death. And that is what we are getting ready for. Jesus is God's beloved son on top of the mount of transfiguration and on top of the mount of calvary focus on Jesus always
0: so peter's words to Jesus while probably well meaning are are ultimately misguided that well what do you, is it is it good that we, that's that's true right i mean that it's good that we are here but but he misses the point it Seems of why they are here when he when he just says three tenths for these three guys as if they're all the same and so the father's voice comes in in response to Peter it sounds like to the right the right place to Jesus and and particularly to Jesus' words and and this this is important too I think you were bringing this out earlier on the the first half of the program that well what has Jesus just told them before they went up the mountain. He's about to be crucified. He's about to be raised. And, and that was what they didn't hear then. And so the Father comes along here, not only showing Jesus is fully God, but, but listen to him. What, what he's said and what he's going to continue to say, only, only a few moments later, when they go down the mountain, it's this is this speech is going to come up again from our Lord. That, that he's going to die. He's going to rise. Listen to him. Pay attention. We this is this is one of the Another of the emphases of Jesus' transfiguration is, is the importance of listening to Jesus. Yes, Pastor El?
1: Yes, exactly. And so we see both a, a theme of seeing and a theme of hearing. And so see Jesus, listen to Jesus. And when Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah, not as an equal, but as their Lord and their God, from there, keep it up. Because everything that Jesus is doing, the miracles, the transfiguration, the crucifixion, the resurrection, this is all about Jesus, who is the Son of God, the one to see, the one to hear, the one to believe in.
0: Before we pass over it, because it might be easy to do, the Father's voice, I mean, you said earlier, Pastor Hill, that Jesus is fully God. And and you've got the Father's voice speaking, who's also God. I mean, it sounds like we're we're seeing the the Holy Trinity here a bit,
1: a bit. Uh, and this calls us to remember <laughs> maybe, that back might have in been a, that
0: might not a maybe not just a bit, right? We are well,
1: yeah, <laughs> we are. Although this is a little different than Jesus' baptism. Uh, earlier in Matthew, when we hear that the Father spoke over Jesus when he was baptized, and the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. But we don't see the Holy Spirit quite the same way here. We see the Father and we see the Son. But this text shows that it's not that God became the Son. We don't have a God who's a shapeshifter God, or who changes from the Father into the Son into the Holy Spirit, there are three eternal persons of our triune God. One God in three persons. In a way that the math, well, the math doesn't add up, because God is bigger than math. It's a really good thing. And here we see the Father testifying about Jesus, the Son, and they are both God. This isn't God with a split personality, but God who God the Father who testifies that his son Jesus is the one to be listened to, the one with whom he is well pleased.
0: So we see we see that and then now the father speaks. And then disciples initial reaction is to fall flat on their face in terror. And I think that's the right reaction. But Jesus isn't going to leave them there. And Matthew's very specific as the way to how Jesus addresses them now. What is What do we see Jesus do to his disciples in terror?
1: So in verse 7, it says that Jesus came and touched them and said, Rise and have no fear. Or, or I think you could translate it as, Rise, get up, stop fearing. And... This moment where Jesus' face has has glowed, his clothes were gleaming, and then he goes from doing things where you see his divinity, you see him do something wonderfully human. He touches his disciples. We think about parents who, to quiet their fussy child, will pick them up and make physical contact We see the father who wraps his arm around his son's shoulders after a sports game. We see the importance of touch in our own lives between people. And here Jesus, fully God, we just saw that, now does something really, really human, coming and touching them. And in Matthew's gospel, touch is a really big deal. Eleven times it talks about Jesus either touching or being touched. This is the only time, though, when Jesus touches or is touched when there's not a physical healing, but there's this restoration, this transformation from fear to faith. And Jesus touches his disciples and doesn't just say like a parent, now, now, or it'll be okay, but rather stop fearing. I am here as in, I am God in the flesh. I'm with you. Nothing will happen to you. I will protect and defend you because you are mine, and I'm not going to let you be attacked at all. I've got you.
0: This matter of, of physical touch, I think, is something that we we very much need still today. We, and I don't know. You could, you could tell me if you don't think this is right, Pastor El, but but the way that, that I, I see our religious landscape is that we often think of spiritual things as things that must be non-physical, but that's, not, that's just not the way that the scriptural worldview works. The, the things that are created, the physical things, well, they are created. They're God's gifts, and, and he works through them and uses them, and we see our Lord actually touch his disciples and and i think i mean I, where i want to go with this is is to the sacraments today that that in the sacraments today our lord gives us physical tangible touchable things by which he comes to us still as god and man to comfort us to to move us from fear to faith what, what do you think pastor El?
1: i absolutely agree there with simple things water Bread, wine. I mean, these are common everyday things. But here, by the word of Jesus, he comes and he says essentially the same thing Stop fearing. I have put my name on you. Stop fearing. I have forgiven your sins. Stop fearing. I have fed you not just with what you need to support this daily body and life, but to support eternal life. I am the bread from heaven that has come to fill you so that you will never hunger. And we see that so much in our world today. As you talk about us as as whole people, both physical and spiritual, I fully agree. And I've been really reading some interesting things that there's a, a loneliness epidemic that goes on in our world today, that people aren't feeling as connected to each other. Part of that has to do with touch, too. And sometimes we feel lonely and disconnected, not only from other people, but from God. And how is it that God comes to us? Not in a still small voice, not in a devouring fire, but in the simple touch of water and the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, in bread and wine and body and blood where we have the forgiveness of our sins, where Jesus testifies to us again, you are mine, you are filled, you are forgiven. And there we are transformed once again, from fear to faith.
0: And, and this, this matter of seeing Jesus only, I think fits right into all of this. So, so this is the way that, that I, I hold onto this text in my mind. At the beginning, they've they've heard Jesus say that he's going to die and to rise, and so on the mountain, these three receive this revelation of the truth that the one who's going to die and rise is God, so that later when they see him dying and rising, they know that's God for me there. He's my Savior, and they can hold on to that truth. But, but now they, they've, they've been in, the, in this glorious presence and even, even so much that, that not only have they seen the, the full divinity of, of Jesus shine through his human flesh, but they've also heard the full majesty of God the Father's voice on the mountain. They're terrified. Well, well, now at this moment, what do they need? They need to see that this glorious Jesus who's come in all of his holiness is also the Jesus who's going to die for them. That that this God who who has shown himself to be fully holy and righteous and glorious is as, as we were saying at the very beginning, where is that glory going to be made manifest later? On the cross, where where he dies for them. So that that God, as, as John 3:17 says, right, that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his, his son into the world to save the world. And, and that's where the transfiguration now, I think, turns to direct us now from the mountain of the transfiguration, as you've said, toward the mountain of of Calvary. And they they get a glimpse of that, where where this account ends as they see Jesus only. That's what they need to see at this moment. Thoughts, Pastor
1: I fully agree that that's exactly what's going on. And that theme of seeing no one but Jesus only is going to be continued as they keep up on their way down the mountain. And and that's when we start to scratch our heads a little bit as we see how it continues. I mean, after all, Jesus tells him, don't tell anybody what you saw until the son of man is raised from the dead. He goes from his glowing face and his gleaming clothes to don't talk about this. And he calls himself the son of man, which in, in our ears often sounds like he's making a little less of himself. Have you ever heard it, or had anybody ask you that question, Pastor Apple, if there, if Jesus is is diminishing his divinity with that Son of Man title?
0: I don't know that anyone's ever asked it quite that way, but there there is this sense, right, that he's talking about himself, Son of Man. He's talking about himself as a human, and, and maybe the temptation is there to forget with that title. The, the divinity of Christ. So so what I mean what's what's your response to that, Pastor L? That, that my, Jesus. My is response is to himself?
1: jump into the book of Daniel. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, I guess oh, I take ahead. after Peter a little too much. Um, but in Daniel, it's described that one comes looking like the Son of Man in glory, and so Jesus called himself the Son of Man, making this appeal to Daniel, saying. I'm the one who's come from god i'm the one that you guys are supposed to be looking for not in a way that he is making himself less but saying he comes in the one of the form of the son of man to heal mankind and to be the savior wonderful stuff there at the end of daniel Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and so jesus go ahead
0: pastor keep going
1: jesus is saying i am the son of man who's going to be raised from the dead i am the one who's the savior that you've been looking for I am the fulfillment of the prophecy, but don't talk about it quite yet.
0: Why not, Pastor L?
1: (sighs) That's a great question. (laughs) Um, And and fully, I don't know. There are lots of guesses as far as why. That it's to wait until the fullness of Jesus' resurrection is seen, and then everything will line up. Some people say it's so that he doesn't, um, so that he's not mobbed by the crowds. Some people uh, kind of talk about it in a a reverse psychology kind of a way. Uh, Jesus says, don't talk about it, thereby ensuring that they're going to talk about it. I don't know if I buy buy into Jesus the reverse psychologist. Uh, We're not exactly sure why Jesus says, don't talk about it. Um, And I don't want to read into it some kind of motive to Jesus uh, that scripture doesn't give us, but the disciples go on and, and they, they follow it up. Well, then if we saw it and we're not supposed to talk about it, then why did we see Elijah? And why does Malachi say that Elijah must come? And, so
0: that's where i mean well pastor l just to, to clarify that because it, it may may be to our ears today if, if we're not familiar with that well why are they why are they asking about elijah so, i mean certainly elijah's there in the mountain but but give us that background information behind this question
1: in malachi chapter 3 the prophecy is given that before the end of time before the the glory of god is fully seen before the day of the lord elijah must come But Elijah had come before the days of Malachi. Elijah was one of the first prophets who came uh, during the kingdom of, of Ahab. But now Malachi comes at the very end of the Old Testament. Elijah's come and gone. He's already been taken into heaven in the whirlwind hundreds of years ago. And now Malachi is saying Elijah will come before the glory of God and before the day of the Lord. So the disciples are following that up. They, You could almost imagine they have their Old Testaments out, and they're saying, now wait a minute, Jesus. We're not supposed to talk about it, but Malachi says that Elijah was going to come. He was there on the mountain with you and Moses. So are we close to the day of the Lord? What's going on? What's the time frame here? Uh, and I think that it, it makes it kind of a pregnant question for us of saying, well, so there's Elijah. There's a prophecy about Elijah. Are we really, really close to the, the day of the Lord as it's prophesied in the Old Testament? And that's when Jesus in his answer to them kind of takes a turn. And he says, Elijah does come and he will restore all things, but Elijah has already come and they didn't recognize him. And that's when the disciples realize he's not talking about Elijah who stood on the mountain with him, but about John the baptizer. Jesus here identifies John the baptizer as the Elijah who was to come and the fulfillment of the Elijah prophecy. And so the day of the Lord is seen first in the coming of Jesus. John the baptizer looks at Jesus, and he says, the one is coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And then he points at Jesus, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The day of the Lord has come in Jesus. And so, as John points at Jesus, Jesus says, oh yeah, John's, he's the Elijah that you've been looking for, but Even though Malachi got you ready for John, they didn't recognize him. And so it's necessary that the Son of Man will suffer at the same hands who rejected John the Baptist. And that's when the disciples get it, that the focus is on Jesus' ministry, not just the ministry of the Elijah figure, not just on the transfiguration, but on what is to happen to Jesus himself, that there was an elijah to come before the day of the lord jesus is the fulfillment of the day of the lord first in his coming in his death and resurrection and in the day to come in his return and glory when he raises the dead
0: and judges his faithful so the, the matter of, of Elijah, I mean, the disciples bring it up because they know Malachi. They also know what the scribes of their day are saying, that there's this this thought that, yeah, Elijah's going to come. And, and Jesus, in identifying John as that Elijah, really does point point to that fact that they missed him, right? He did come to restore all things, and, and I think that's that's a reference, as, as you were saying, to John's ministry. The, the restoration that John brought about was that he, he turned the, the hearts of the Father's back, that he called people to repentance and pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God who was taking away the sins of the world. There's the restoration, but the scribes missed it, and and in missing it, Jesus reminds his disciples now, look what they did to him. And of course, we we've heard about that just a few chapters ago, back in Matthew chapter 14. What did they do to him? He was beheaded. And and Jesus points out, just as they did to John, my forerunner, so they will do to me. And so again, you I mean, it's amazing how much the transfiguration does direct our focus toward the cross this is this is the whole point is so that we would go forward with jesus to the cross to see him suffer and die there for us sinners pastor l we've got just under three minutes left here on the morning closing thoughts on on the transfiguration of our lord and, and the comfort and and wonder that's there for us
1: when we see jesus in his glory we don't just stick with the glory and and that's a temptation for us we We as people want to have those moments where we say, I know that God is in this place. And and we look for those moments where we can go to church and say, it is good that we are here. But it's better when we're able to say, it is good that Jesus is here. It's not about us being on top of a mountain. It's not about us being able to exhibit our faith or about us being able to tell Jesus that we're glad we're here. Rather, it's good for us to be able to look and recognize Jesus only and say, boy, it is good that Jesus is here in my terror, in my doubt, in my interruption, in my desire to make things about me, in my haste that overlooked the ministry of John the Baptist and the preparations for Jesus to come as the crucified and risen savior in the middle of all of this, it is good that Jesus is here. And that's a much, much better thing than for us to simply say that it's good for us to be where Jesus is. Jesus is the Lord who comes to us. Just as he, as God came down on the mountain to Moses and Elijah in the Old Testament, he comes to them once again also showing himself to Peter and James and John, and through the words of the gospels to you and to me. And so we say, it is good that Jesus is here with us. It is good that Jesus touches us in such a human way with baptismal water, with the bread and wine and body and blood of the Lord's supper, given by his command for the forgiveness of sins, so that we know that we are saved We are loved by him, and so there's nothing temporary about Jesus' presence with us, but he is permanently our Savior, and he is the crucified and resurrected one who has delivered us from our sins, and it is good that Jesus is here with us.
0: Pastor Peter Ill is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt Illinois, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. Pastor Ill, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for letting me be with you once again.
0: I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.